This weekend, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we're just going to look at two verses today. Verse 14 and verse 15. Verse 14 and 15. We've been in this series called Red Letters. And you guys have heard me say this several times because we're, I think this is week 10 of this series. We're going to get all the way through Matthew chapter 7. So we've got to the rest of chapter 6 and uh, chapter 7 to get through. That's going to take us through the series. Yes, this is a long series. But we want to look at Jesus' message to us in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And we're calling it red letters because in most of our Bibles, red letters are the words that Jesus actually said to us. If I'm trying to help you become a more mature believer in Jesus, a better follower of Jesus, a better disciple of Jesus, the commandment that he gave to us was to go and make disciples. Guess whose words we need to be looking at? Not mine. We need to be looking at the words of Jesus. And so that's what we're doing in this series. What does Jesus tell us? How does he tell us to live? In his person, when he came, Matthew's point to us was that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God was here in the person of Jesus. And so as we're following Jesus, as we're doing the things that he teaches us to do, as we're living out the life change that we have, that he's given us, we are participating in the kingdom of God here and now. We all want to get to heaven, right? Everybody wants to get to heaven. We want to get there. We want to be in God's presence, but we can actually experience God's presence in the here and now by following Jesus' leading and Jesus' teaching and the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction in our lives. And so the kingdom of heaven is definitely something that's not yet. It's coming. It's going to be here, but it's also something that's here now. So now and not yet. So the, the, what Jesus has been talking about is he's been talking about really how we should live. And that's the past several, several weeks that we've been looking at. How should we live? We talked about anger and relationships and how we should pray and like how we should not try to make things about ourselves. We've talked about all these different things and, and, and when we've looked at what Jesus has said, but really he's talking about how we should live, how we should act, how we should be. This gets to the idea of like justice and fairness. Like what's just, what's the right thing to do? What's the fair thing to do? And what, what's the right thing to do in situations? Like how should we be living? How, what's, what's the right thing to do? When my kids were little, um, when they were when they were really little, we um, I would cook them breakfast and, and or we'd be out at a restaurant eating breakfast and and they would sometimes when they're little kids, you know, they don't eat everything on their plate. You guys have kids like that, you know, they'll, they'll eat your whole pantry when it's not dinner time, but when it is dinner time, they don't eat anything. They don't touch anything on their plate. And what I used to teach my kids was, you know, hey, if you if you have bacon on your plate, bacon's good. Thank God for the new covenant. Um, if you want to study Old Testament, you can figure out that joke later. Um, but but we. Um, we, I would tell my kids, I was like, I was like, listen, if there's bacon on your plate, like don't leave bacon because a little pig had to die for that. Like, like you need to eat all the bacon that's on your plate. Like you need to eat all of it. Like it's good for you to eat all of it. Well, so three of my kids now eat all of their bacon and one, one of my kids became a vegetarian. So like that's what happened in my family. But that's like how things should be. How things should be. We should eat all the bacon on our plates. We should do these things. And so as Jesus, that's a very lighthearted thing, but as Jesus is talking to us, he's given us very, very serious examples of how we should be living, how we should be living. Last week, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. 
In Matthew chapter six, verse nine through 13, he says this, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Within this prayer, Jesus says the line, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is difficult for many of us. Why is that? Why is forgiveness so hard for us to do? Why is it so hard? Because I, I think a lot of times when, when we look at the desire for justice and fairness in life, I want to see what's just being done. I want to see what's fair being done. And when I'm the victim of justice being attacked or fairness being attacked or what should have happened in the situation being attacked, I want to see justice happen. I want to see fairness happen. And so the offending person who attacked my sense of justice of what is fair and what is right for me, and I'm the victim for that. And so in some ways, some people look at unforgiveness or not being able to forgive other people as a way to actually fight for for justice and fight for fairness in their life and protecting what should have happened. But Jesus tells us that we need to forgive. We need to forgive others. Now, does that mean that we just let anybody do whatever they want to do and we don't ever speak up and we don't ever say, hey, that shouldn't happen that way. Things shouldn't be like that. So no, we can still speak up, but we have to learn to forgive when we are the victim of someone else's uh, sin or failure or mistakes or whatever in our lives. After the prayer, and Jesus says the lines, forgive uh, us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. After the prayer, he includes two lines of commentary in verse 14 and 15. And I want to focus just on these two lines today. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses. In this statement, Jesus ties our ability to receive forgiveness from God with our willingness to forgive others. Does this mean that Jesus is putting conditions on our ability to be forgiven? No. It doesn't mean that because if you look elsewhere in the Bible, if you look at what the Bible teaches about how we're forgiven, you didn't do anything to earn your forgiveness. Like you didn't, there's nothing that we're, you're like, man, you know what? I had three good days in a row where I didn't cuss and I didn't yell at my husband and I took, you know, I took the trash out when my wife asked me to and I didn't cheat on anything at where I had three good days in a row. So God loves me today. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. You don't earn forgiveness, love, and grace from God. You don't, get, you don't just earn it to get there. That's not what Jesus is saying here. It's uh, a, a theologian named Leon Moore says this. It's not that the act of forgiving merits an eternal reward. Rather, it is the evidence that the, the grace of God is at work in the forgiving person and that the same grace will bring him forgiveness in due course. Jesus is saying that to fail to forgive others is to demonstrate that one has not felt the saving touch of God. You can forgive other people because God has forgiven you. 
You can forgive other people because God has forgiven you. What was the first step? God forgave you. That was the first step. And so it's not that you have to forgive others as the first step to get God's forgiveness. The first step was God already forgave you. And because God forgave you, you can now forgive other people. You don't have to carry the sins that other people have committed against you against, uh, uh, and hold them against them. You don't have to carry that. You can forgive other people, and in by doing so, you act like Jesus. Jesus forgave you, and therefore, when, because he forgave us, we can forgive other people. There, there's this disconnect, though, where it, that can happen in the lives of Christians, in the lives of people following Christ. Just as we talked about how we're participating in the kingdom of God, and, the, and like there, the kingdom of God is, is not yet here, but, but it's here in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Like, like there's that now and not yet. In every Christian, and you and I, we have this thing where we're, we're made holy before God. We're set free before God. We're made righteous before God. We've been forgiven before God, yet we still make mistakes, right? Has anybody in here made, like, just had a perfect week last week? I mean, we'll, we'll just stand you up, give you, a, give you a round of applause. You know, you had a great week last week. Didn't make a mistake, didn't make a failure, didn't screw up one time, did it perfect. No, we all screw up. We all make mistakes. We all fail. We all have, have, have issues. We all deal with these things, and we're, we're not perfect Yet, but so, but because of that, like it, it helps us to understand that, like, as Jesus is forgiving me, I need to be able to forgive other people. And Jesus tells this story of, of this disconnect between someone who is forgiven, but who's not willing to really forgive other people in Matthew chapter 18. So, if you got your Bibles, you can just kind of flip over 12 chapters to Matthew 18, and I'll, I'll read it for you here. Then Peter. Came, to, uh, came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So if I have a brother or I have a, 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 a person who's a, a Christian with me, you know, the Bible says love our enemies and so we, we have to love them. But this is someone who like should know better, a brother or a sister. When they sin against me, they should know better, but when they sin against me, how often should I forgive him? And then he, and then uh, Peter, you know, just kind of, we've talked about Peter before, always putting his foot in the mouth, always like saying whatever, trying to lead the conversation on. You know, you guys know anybody like that? So he's just trying to lead the conversation on. And so he actually throws a number out for Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to throw a number out. I'm going to ask you a question, and then I'm going to try to answer the question for you, right? Some of us pray this way. Anyway, so, so Jesus uh, says, how often should I forgive the sins of my brother and, uh, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Because, you know, seven, uh, like one, uh, and okay, you did, you did some good things. Two, three, okay. You're like four, five, six, seven. Now you're really spiritual. You can forgive people seven times. How often should I do it? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. He's saying, you know what? Just don't be counting. He's not trying to give him a number where like, I think it's like 490 or something like that or, or 70, or however you translate this, 77 or 470 times seven, whatever. Like, like he's not trying to give him a specific number. I think after probably about 14 or 15, my ADD would kick in and I would forget to count. Like I would lose count of it. That's really what Jesus is saying. Don't keep track of the offenses that are against you. Don't keep track of these things because you should be forgiven or forgiving other people. Then, he's, then he goes into this story. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, and again, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. What's it like? How, how it should be? How should we be living? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one of them, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Now, we don't really know about this. We, we just kind of do things in dollars, right? My, uh, my wife and my daughter recently went to Mexico, and I was like, well, what's the conversion rate to pesos? They're like, what? You know, like, like we have a hard time just keeping track of one thing of money in our mind, but this is what, um, this is what uh, 10,000 talents would be. It would be roughly like uh, probably about 20 years wage for us today. So you work for 20 years, that would be what this guy owed his king. 20 years wages, he owed this king. And since he could not pay, of course, I mean, I couldn't pay 20 years wages. Uh, Since he couldn't pay, his masters ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children to pay the debts. So the servant fell on his knees and imploring said, have patience with me. Listen to this line because it's gonna show up again. Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and what? Forgave the debt. He released him and forgave the debt of 20 years wages. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now what's that? That would be about a day's wage. That'd be what you get by working a day. So let's say you made 10 bucks an hour. That'd be about 80 bucks. So, so this whole idea of 20 years wage versus one, one day's wage. And what happened? Seizing him, and be, he began to choke him and say, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down, and what happened? He pleaded with him, and what did he say? Have patience with me, I will pay you. Does that sound familiar? It's the same words that he just said. And then it said, he refused and went on and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported it to their master, all had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I have had mercy on you. And in this anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do this to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is a good way for us to imagine because who was the first person? The king was the first person to forgive the debt. Again, the king forgives us first. Jesus forgives us first. Now, what do we do with that? Do we just say, oh, cool. I mean, I'm just gonna keep living however I wanna live. I'm gonna keep holding grudges. I'm gonna keep holding anger. I'm gonna keep holding bitterness. I'm gonna keep holding these things against other people that have wronged me. I'm gonna keep doing these things because that, that's just, I, I have to protect myself. You know, I have to do that for me. Or do we say, because God has forgiven me of much, I'm willing to forgive others of little. I'm willing to forgive. I'm not gonna carry it. I'm not, I've decided not to carry it. I'm not going to do that. This is the story that Jesus is giving us here in Matthew chapter 18. About 17 years ago, I was, translate, I was uh, transitioning into our very first, mine Liz's very first position as a church as a youth pastor. And up to that point, I'd been working with this national ministry and their, their target was uh, teenagers. They, they did events and things for teenagers and just try, trying to help teenagers follow Christ more. 
And as I was, uh, as I was getting ready to, to leave this national ministry and go to uh, work at this local church, I was in, the ministry was in Missouri and the local church was in Alabama. And the, the director of the ministry, this national ministry said, hey, I'll, I want to take you to breakfast. And I was like, oh, awesome, cool. You know, like uh, any time with those type guys, you want to you wanna take it. And I asked him, because I was, I was becoming a youth pastor, and I'm like, you're speaking youth camps and churches all over the country. What's something that you see as like happening in the lives of teenagers? Like what's something that you see that as I'm going to be a youth pastor that I'm going to have to deal with, that I'm going to have to address on a daily basis? And because he's prayed with hundreds of kids in altars and heard hundreds of stories. And this is what he said to me. He said, our country is full of young people whose lives are dominated by anxiety and low-grade rage due to an inability to forgive other people. Due to an inability. One, one slight becomes another, becomes another. And before you know it, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Think about that. Like one paper cut's not going to kill you. Like it's going to hurt like the fire, but it's not going to kill you, right? Like you're going to be fine. I'm going to make through this. But if you had a thousand paper cuts, 10,000 paper cuts, like all of a sudden it's like, dude, like this could be in a medical emergency really, really fast if that happened. But that's what he was saying is that if we're unable to forgive one slight, then that compounds and it compounds and it adds up and it adds up. And then uh, ultimately you're filled with anxiety and rage and, and, and discontentment and you just don't know where to turn because you don't forgive. He said that, our, that in everyone that he's seen across the country, just as, as kind of a there's, a, there's a lack of spiritual depth of, to forgive. And because of that, that's the biggest spiritual issue that he feels that the church is facing in that generation. And it's almost two decades later, do you guys think that it's any better? I would say no. I would say no. And all of us, if I look inside my own life, I mean, I, I, I still deal with this. I still with the, deal with this inability to forgive other people, to actually like, like just say, I, I forgive you. Like, I'm, I'm not holding that against you. I mean, that, like, that's just something that in ourselves, in our humanity, in our, our sin nature is just natural for us to do. It's just to carry unforgiveness. But if we don't learn how to release it, and if we don't learn how to handle it, how Jesus teaches us to handle it, the, the pain and the, the poison that we let stay in our lives sticks with us and it changes the way we should operate in God's kingdom. Over the next couple of years, I learned this to be true as a youth pastor. Teenagers are, are typically what I found, typically the unedited version of their parents. Like if you've got a teenager, like your teenager is the unedited version of you. So if other people, if other people say, man, your kids are amazing, man, they do so good when they come over to my house and they do in school or whatever, whatever, whatever. And then you're like, man, these kids are horrible in my house. Why are they good at home? But terrible at that. Listen, you're doing a good job because when they go out in public, they're an unedited version of you. You're doing a good job, mom. You're doing a good job, dad. So they're, 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 but I would see that these teenagers would be an unedited version of the parents. And every now and then you get this rebellious teenager, you get them acting out, you get them doing things. And there would always end up being issues at home. I could tell that something was happening at home that, that, that maybe the parents looked fine, but something was happening at home. Why am I telling you this? Because if we have a generation of teenagers who are fully full of anxiety and rage and unable to forgive other people, then guess who they learned that behavior from? Guess who they learned it from? They learned it from mom and dad. They learned it from the adults in their lives. 
So as we've looked in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, this is Jesus' longest recorded message in Scripture. I want to look at another thing that Jesus teaches us about forgiveness. And he is, this is a, the, another recorded message in Luke, and uh, some theologians call this the Sermon on the Plain. It's in Luke 6. Uh, but it, there's a lot of similarities and a lot of things Jesus says in this that kind of go with the Sermon on the Mount. See, what would happen is, is that these rabbis like Jesus, these teachers of the Scripture, teachers of God's way, they would have disciples, Jesus wasn't the only person there in, in that culture that had disciples. There was a bunch of teachers that had disciples. But Jesus had his disciples, and his disciples would say, I follow the teachings of Jesus. There was another guy named Gamaliel. He, I follow the teachings of Gamaliel. I follow the teachings of this guy. And as a Christian, we all say in this room, we follow the teachings of Jesus. We're disciples of the teachings of Jesus. And so as Jesus teaches us, we, we see that, that we're following those things. And, and one thing that Jesus says is uh, that what the disciples would do is they would follow these teachings and the teachings was called a yoke. And so when you hear Jesus say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, what he's saying is, is that my teachings is not really demanding much of you because I'm going to do the work. I'm going to do the work of setting you free. I'm going to do the work of releasing you. I'm going to do the work of leading you out of where you should be. I'm going to do the work. You don't have to do that on your own. I'm not going to give you all these rules that you have to follow. I'm just going to say my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the disciples of Jesus would follow the teachings of Jesus. And so this is another area where Jesus is teaching us in Matthew or Luke, sorry, chapter six, verse 38. Give, Jesus says, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be put in your lap? If you guys have ever like, uh, like made something in the kitchen, I learned a, a while ago, like when you make cookies or something, it tells you to put a cup of flour, like it's supposed to be like loose. You're not supposed to like pack the flour down in there. And that's why my, my stuff's always terrible. But like, like cause that's what I was doing. But so that what he's saying is like, when, when you give, it'll be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Like it'll be like as much as it can be, it'll be put back in your lap. Then he says, for the measure that you use will be measured back to you. Now, for those of us that have been in church for a while, those of us who laughed at my bacon joke earlier, right? For those of us who've been in church for a while, how many times have you heard this message from a pulpit with a pastor talking about money? That's typically where you hear it. But is this what Jesus is talking about here? When we look at what Jesus is saying, it's always good to see what someone is saying in context, right? Have you ever seen like on, on the media where they like cut an interview up and like they make it to where someone says something that they didn't actually say because you could take pieces of it and like, like chop it together and move it around and all of a sudden they say something that they didn't really say? It was the person's voice. Like they did actually say that sentence, but what that sentence meant or how they made that sentence seem like it meant wasn't what that person actually meant, right? And so if we just look at this passage of scripture and we say, oh, given it will be given to you, press down, it's going to come back to you, you know, do all this. Like we have to look at the context and what Jesus is actually saying. And if the Bible is our source of truth and doctrine and practical guide to our lives and it's essential, we must understand it in its proper context. What is Jesus saying here? Let's read the context. All you have to do is it's easy. Go back one verse. Go back one verse. We're not going to start at the beginning of the chapter. We're just going to go back one verse. 
and see what Jesus is saying. Judge not, this is verse 37, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Then he says, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What is Jesus talking about here? He's not talking about money. He's talking about interpersonal relationships. If I want to withhold love, withhold forgiveness, withhold mercy, withhold grace, I don't want to give that to you, then guess what? It's not going to be given back to me. But if I want to be generous with love, generous with grace, generous with mercy, generous with not judging, generous with forgiveness, if I want to be generous with those things in my life, those emotional things in my life, then guess what? It's going to be given back to me, pressed down, shaken together, running over in a measure that I can't even uh, follow on my own. And so for some of us, like we, we, we measure out, we're like, Peter, uh, can I only do this seven times? Can I only do this? Like we're literally like measuring out the forgiveness that we want to offer other people. And what Jesus is saying is like, dude, just dump the jar out dump it out. Like, just give it to them. Like, just love them. Like, just show them mercy. Show them grace. Show them forgiveness. Show them love. Like, do this to them. Because when you use that measure, whatever measure you want to use is going to be measured back to you. And I don't know about you, but I could really use a big measure of grace some days. I could use a big measure of mercy. I could use a big measure of God loving me and forgiving me. I could really use that some days. I need a big measure. And if I need a big measure, I need to use a big measure. That's what Jesus is talking about here in Luke chapter 36. But there's another cool thing. And some of you guys have heard this, me, me share this before. Some of you guys have not. So uh, in verse 37, I want you to circle the word forgiven. Forgiven, you will be forgiven. Circle that word, uh, highlight it, do whatever, put it in your Bible. If you're using uh, the U version, you can like hold it down on the word and highlight the thing. But keep your finger there and I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. And this is what 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 says. He's saying, I'm writing you little children. This is John the apostle in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Luke chapter 6, the word's forgiven. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, the word is forgiven. It's the same word in our English Bibles. It's the same word. In Luke chapter 6, it's about us forgiving other people. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, it's about God forgiving us. Here's the thing, and we've talked about this before. The Bible was written in, uh, the Bible that we have is in English, but it wasn't originally written there. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And there are parts, the, the part that we're looking at here is written in Greek. The word forgiven here in these two separate verses that we looked at, and in English, it both says forgiven, but in the Greek, it's two separate words. It's two different words. And those two different words mean kind of the same thing, but they mean something different. In 1 John 2, verse 12, I'm writing you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. This word here is a fiemi. What it means is to separate or to send away. So your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. What does that mean? Your sin, your past, your guilt, your shame, your mistakes are separated from you by the power of God. This is echoing in, in Psalms chapter 103, verse 12. For as far as the east is from the west, 
so does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, for those of you who don't like east and west directions, all right, you want to be told turn right, not turn east, right? Some of you are like that. I understand. But here's the thing. If I start going east, I will continue to go east forever because the, the world is round. I'll just keep going east. If I start going west, I will continue to go west forever, right? So it's it, when we start going this way, it just keeps separating from us. As far as the east, you can keep going east, you can keep going west. It, it, it will be separated from us. And so God sends our sins away. Ephemi forgives our sins, sends them away. They're no longer a part of you. And we need to say, thank God for that. You're no longer identified by your past. First uh, Corinthians uh, talks about if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're no longer identified by your past. Your sins have been separated from you. That is the word forgiven when uh, John says, I'm writing you little children because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. Now, in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, when Jesus says, forgive others and you will be forgiven, what is he saying there? The word here is apalua. What that means is to set free. So when God forgives us, he sends our sins away from us. When we forgive other people and experience the forgiveness of God in turn, we're set free. We're set free. When God forgives us, sins are separated. When we forgive others, we are set free free. You weren't meant to hold resentment, anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. It is spiritual poison in your life. You've probably heard this quote before, but I'll tell it to you again. Bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You cannot hold it in your life. You need to forgive other people. You need to ask God to bless them. Now, does this mean that you keep toxic people in your life? No. You can separate yourself from them. You can have some healthy boundaries in your life. You can do these things, but how do you forgive people even if you have to separate from them is you say, God, I want your best for them. I don't necessarily want to have to see them pay or want to, you know, I don't want them to go to hell for that. I, I want you to forgive them and I want your plan for their life to come to fruition. You can do that even if you have to separate yourself from for your safety, health, whatever. So it's uh, forgiving. God, I want what's best for them. I don't want to see them have to pay for that. I want to see them come to know you and be set free and forgiven as well. C.S. Lewis, in The Weight of Glory, he talks about there's a difference between excusing something and forgiving something. Excusing something and forgiving something. You, you guys ever bumped into somebody, maybe at Lowe's, like accidentally, you're like, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, you know, like whatever. And then you have this whole little thing of like this whole little dance that you do, or maybe like they go left and you go right. And so there's like this whole like dance thing that you're doing. You're like, I'm excuse me, sorry, you know, like doing that thing. Uh, maybe it's just me. Maybe I just need to learn how to like walk. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, that's what, that's what happens. And, and so we, we say, excuse me, and, and that's, that's just part of it. But what excusing does, and, and this is C.S. Lewis's definition, yeah, the same guy that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, by the way, uh, what, what he says is, is that we like, we really don't have a problem forgiving something that is excusable. When someone says, excuse me, like that it shows that that offense was an accident, or that person didn't really intend it, or that person really just kind of 
slipped up or said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing. And it's, uh, we, we, we have an easier problem forgiving things that are excusable. Forgiving is easy for that in Lewis's mind, but what Lewis says is that that's not really forgiving at all. It's just excusing something. Like, okay, that, that makes sense that you did that. I can get my, ra- my head wrapped around what you did uh, and why you did it, and, and I, I can forgive you for that. But what Lewis says is real forgiveness is when there's a steady look at the sin that someone has done. And there's no excuses for it. There can't be any allowances made for it. There's just dirt and meanness and malice. And there's, they're, they're just being mean when they did it. And what he says is that for many of us, like we just want to forgive what people that can be excused. Well, Lewis says like we have to forgive all of it. We have to forgive the sin. Just like when you and I have messed up and sometimes our mess ups for God is like, oh man, I probably, probably shouldn't have said that. Like that's probably like I've, put my foot in my mouth. I got myself ahead of myself, whatever. And I just kind of messed up, you know, whatever. But sometimes we, we really sin. Sometimes we, we lie. Sometimes we cheat. Sometimes we steal. Sometimes we do things that are, they're like obvious, like just sins against God. Yet God forgives us. And God will forgive those sins just as he is, as much as he will the times that you slip up. Like he'll forgive both when you ask him to. And so when other people do these things to you, when they accidentally bump up, bump into you at the, at the uh, grocery store, or if they say mean, ugly things about you and really j- cut you off at your knees, when they do these things, you can forgive both ways because that's how God has forgiven you. Jesus' forgiveness is for all of our mistakes, all of our failures, all the sins that we've committed, all the things that we've done against him. He forgives us of all of it, but this allows us to forgive other people of all of it. It's not just the behavior that can be excused or the stuff that you get an apology for, but because listen, you might not get an apology from people. There's some people that just won't apologize to you. Doesn't matter what they do. Doesn't matter how wrong they are. Doesn't matter how obviously wrong they are. They're just not going to apologize. So don't wait for an apology that Jesus doesn't say, hey, when someone apologizes, then, then go ahead and forgive. No, he just says, forgive them. Like just, just whatever measure, just give it to them. We have to forgive the ugliness, the brokenness, the stuff that should have never happened because that's what Jesus did in us. In Christ, your sins are forgiven, separated from you. But the greatest gift that you could get is the release of pain anger, bitterness, rage, and frustration. You can experience the ephemia of forgiveness, the separation from you, but you can also experience the apollo, the setting free. And I want you to be free. Jesus says, if you forgive others' trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Forgiveness is a byproduct of forgiveness.